Welcome to Season 8, Episode 3 of Strategy Simplified. We're excited today to share this live case led by an OCNC Strategy Consultant's partner, Stephen Carolyn. We loved getting an inside look at an OCNC case interview and hearing the feedback that Stephen had for our candidate. In this session, Stephen starts us off with a few quick fit interview questions before diving into a non-traditional case study. We can't wait for you to dig into this case interview. We'll dive right in after this quick message from our sponsor. LEK Consulting, a strategy consulting firm with global reach, is hiring now for several roles across functions and geographies. At LEK, you'll find an environment that supercharges professional development and on-the-job learning. You'll gain unparalleled experience due to the rigor and diversity of the work, as well as the support and mentorship you receive along the way. At LEK, you'll work in small project teams on a range of critical problems for your clients, from growth strategy to market entry to post-merger support and more. You'll also develop a comprehensive set of critical business skills, including leadership, analytics, communication, people management, and more. If you're ready to broaden your skill set and deepen your business acumen, consider a career with LEK. Learn about open roles and submit your application now at lek.com or via the link in this episode's show notes. So in terms of the structure of the next 25 minutes, just to give you a sense of what to expect, um, I'll start with a few questions on you, your resume and the experience you've had today. Uh, we'll spend most of the time running through a case study. Um, and then always at the end of interviews, we, we leave time to uh, answer questions that candidates have. So be able to answer any questions you have and also um, for, from the people who are uh, tuned in watching us. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. great. Perfect. Um, well, thank you very much for, for sharing your, 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 your resume in advance. As I was looking through it, tons of really interesting experience. The, the, the question I always like to ask people is, if you had to pick one thing from your resume, and actually it could be something that isn't on there at all, that you think is a great example of what motivates you, what drives you, what you're passionate about, what would you talk about and why? Yeah, I mean... Honestly, probably after today, I would say this would be something I would say to answer your question. <laughs> but, um, you know, I can't really talk about that right now. But something on my resume, I would probably say would be um, my VC experience this past semester. Um, so as a bio major, I really haven't had any exposure to the business or finance world. However, I was really interested in what drove me really to um, pursue like sort of this business or finance experience was um doing this VC experience. And I think that's really what motivates me and um, is a, was a great experience for me, but also like showed me sort of um, a new world into the business side of things. Interesting. So how, how, given that focus of your major, taking that into more of a commercial context, what, mm -hmm. what was it about that that um, you know, surprised you most in terms of where you found interest, what piqued your intellectual curiosity? Mm -hmm. I actually found that, you know, with consulting, for example, and biology, it's really much of the same thing. You're really just trying to break down a problem to its simplest parts. Like, for example, at a lab, you're, you know, breaking down this lab experiment to different parts. Same thing with any case or any project you're on. So it's really the uh, form of thinking is the same thing. And then something like more is just like, I feel like in consulting, you can make a more direct, large scale impact right away. Whereas, you know, potentially if you want to go into medicine, it takes 
lots of years before you can get something accomplished or before you get certified as like a physician. Whereas like with consulting, you can really just go in right away and make a direct impact. Interesting. Yeah, I think your um, description of taking enjoyment in breaking down difficult problems uh, certainly really resonates. It's one of the, the parts of the job I really enjoy. Um, and that's probably a good segue actually into, into the case study itself where we will we will spend time breaking down and, and wrestling with a difficult problem together over the next 25 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So as I said in my introduction, I, I, I'm a partner in our technology and, and media practice. Uh, I focus more on the technology side, but the case we're going to run through today it is closer to some of the work um, that our media team does at, at OCNC, uh, specifically on in the online classified space. And the case study we're going to run through relates to the online dating market. Um, mm. in the US. Um, and the reason I describe that as a kind of online classified market is if you think of an online dating platform at its heart as somewhere where a user is posting an advert for a specific thing, I guess in this case themselves, um, mm-hmm. the way those businesses kind of work and make money, uh, are very similar to platforms where people might be posting a job, uh, an advert for a, you know, maybe it's a job or a particular property or a car. Um, And one of the first challenges when working in that type of market, actually it probably holds true for pretty much any market that we consult to, is getting the segmentation right. How can you take a large, complex market and break it down into more digestible chunks to make sense of things? So before we dive into the body of the case, I'd like to spend a few minutes brainstorming around potential ways you might think about segmenting the online dating market and really through two lenses. How might you think about segmenting the universe of users of online dating services in terms of the different ways they behave within the market? And how might you think about segmenting um, the providers, so the, the apps and the websites that operate in this market? Yeah, I think... So first, in terms of the users, um, there's a couple ways I think off right off the bat um, of what I can do to segment them. Um, number one is, uh, you know, with age, you know, people aren't going to rarely people find um, matches very far apart in age. So I think age is a very um, general uh, segmentation that we can go with. Um, number two, though, I can find is location. It's harder to find people that match uh, that will work out if you guys are far away, like long distance in my personal opinion, rarely works for a, a lot of people. And then um, finally, also just like what you like, where you are in life. You know, are you mm. trying for something more casual, something more serious, or are you really just trying to meet people? You know, I think those are all very different stages of life, and um, it's really important for the dating app service to fulfill all these requirements. And then in terms of the app services, um, I think number one, it's um, could you repeat? The second part of the question again, just to make sure I'm answering Yeah, it. absolutely. So, so if you were thinking about ways of segmenting or grouping the businesses mm-hmm. operating in this space, so some of the apps or websites offering online dating services, what might be different ways you might think of, of grouping those based on common characteristics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's a little bit tougher because in my, uh, you know, there's, you have like Tinder and Bumbles and they're all very similar to each other where you put uh, in your personal bio and then you just match people. So, however, I would say um, the way to group it could be from more of a national st- 
standpoint, such as the Tinders and the Bumbles that are very national, to more regional, where maybe I'm from North Carolina, maybe there's these apps just for North Carolina people. You know, that's I think that could be one way. Another way we could find is, um, you know, for profit and versus nonprofit. Um, you know, there might be some apps that are like, if you're really serious about this, then you have to pay to get the app versus like an everyday person can just download Tinder for free. So that I think those are that's another way to sort of segment the apps. Mm, absolutely. I think those are all really good dimensions to uh, to now oversimplify hugely for the purposes of a short case study. Uh, I'm going to pick up on one thing you mentioned there and combine another. And I've I've drawn something on this page. I, I hope you and everyone watching will be able to see this. I think mm-hmm. deciphering partner handwriting is, a, is an important <laughs> skill in consulting. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I see. I think <laughs> at a high level, I think we, we, let's think of this market um, as breaking down a, across a couple of axes. So that the first one I've identified actually speaks to a couple of the dimension you mentioned. So on the one hand, we, we have what I've called mass market um, businesses. So those are apps or websites targeting any and every potential user in this space. So think eHarmony, Tinder, Bumble. And then on the other hand, what I've called segment, specific segment sites. And those are applications that are deliberately targeting a certain subset of users in the market. So that might be uh, based on age that you mentioned. So um, Silver Singles, for example, a dating site for people over 50. It might be um, religious beliefs, J-Date, Christian Mingle, might be where you went to school, the league, might be your job, uh, farmersonly.com, uniform dating, but sites <laughs> targeting a certain subset of users. Um, and then on, on the other dimension, I picked up on the distinction um, that you mentioned right at the end between sites that I've called free, and those are free to the user. So they're making their money by showing me as a user adverts. And then on the other hand, paid sites. And there are lots of different payment models that exist within this market. But for simplicity, let's assume this means kind of paid subscription. So I pay per month to participate. So if this is a high level way of thinking through how this market segments, there's a couple of questions I'd like you to think through now about how you would expect the market dynamics to vary across these four quadrants and why. And again, two parts to this Mm. question. The first, how would you expect the number of providers operating in this market to vary across the quadrants? Just in relative terms, where would you expect to find the highest through to the lowest number of providers? And secondly, how would you expect average size of provider where we can think of size in terms of number of users to vary across the four segments and why. Mm-hmm. So just to um, clarify a little bit, number one, you're asking for um, the number of providers, right? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just then, in relative terms, where mm-hmm. would you expect to number, find the And then number two, um, it's more like the number of users they have. Exactly, yeah. If it's helpful to spend a moment okay. to kind of yeah. you know think through the space Please do. And then, yeah, yeah, um, come back and, and chat. Yeah, sure. Can I take just a couple moments? A hundred percent. Yeah. We'll be right back after this quick message from our sponsor. Palm Tree is one of the world's top consulting and advisory firms focused exclusively on the world of M&A and private equity. 
Palmtree supports clients through the entire private equity investment lifecycle, from financial due diligence to finance transitions to long-term business transformations and transactions. The firm's model is a hybrid of investment banking, consulting, and accounting. Sound like the perfect fit for you? The firm is hiring now for all experience levels across its offices in Los Angeles, Chicago, Detroit, and Dallas for its three service lines, financial due diligence, consulting, and investment banking. If you're looking to develop a unique skill set, receive world-class training, and work for a dynamic firm, apply today. Explore open roles at the link in this episode's show notes, or go to the careers page at palmtreellc.com. Okay, so um, uh, I'll first approach the first question, really, um, the number of um, the number of providers. Um, I think by far the greatest number of providers that will be prevalent is the free mass market, because um, you know I think just in general, the preface I think mass market will have more. Um, providers than the specific segments, just because it's mass market, they're not really targeting a specific niche, uh, giving way to more um, available market entry for these different providers. And then in terms of the paid and the free, I feel like for those that you know require payment, um, the technology might be more advanced. Therefore, there might be less number of users. So that's why I would um, put free mass market as the most um, number of providers. And the least number of providers would be sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, specific segments that are paid. Because number one, it's a specific niche. And number two, you have to pay for it. So it makes me think that you know the technology is more advanced and more specific even. And then for um, the second part of your question, where you're asking for the number of users, um, personally, like if I was a user here, I would go for something that's free. So I think the free market would always have more than the paid market, just in general. So I think the free mass market would still have the most, just because it's a mass market. It attracts everyone's appeals. And the number two would probably be the free specific segment, just because even though these are pretty specific, still free, and just the everyday person likes to have free stuff over something they have to pay for. And then number three here, in terms of the number of users, I would do uh, paid mass market because it's still mass market. And then the, the least number of, I think, users would be the paid specific segment. Interesting. And just to um, so just to double click on a couple of things that you mentioned there. So I think, as you rightly said, the end, you find more users in the free than in the paid segment. And, and that is true for both mass market and segment specific. Mm-hmm. Um, would you expect the ratio between the number of users in free and paid to look different across the two sides of the map? Would you expect the balance to be closer in either segment specific or mass market or, or see a big difference in one one side of the page? Um, could you sort of clarify a little bit? About yeah, what you sure. Mean by so, ratio? Um, so in, in both mass market and segment specific, there are more users in free that, than in paid. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But would you expect, relatively speaking, the gap between free and paid to be bigger in one of mass market or segment specific? I.e., is there more of a weight in free in one mm, of them? Okay, I see. Um, I think the gap is probably, um, you know, I think it's probably bigger as in um, more people 
like if I'm going to pay for something, I'm probably going to pay for something that's specific for my own needs. Mm. So as a result, I think the gap is definitely going to be bigger between the uh, specific segments than between the mass market. Whereas I don't think that many people, if they're going to pay for something, they won't pay for something that's just not specific towards them. I, I think that's right. Yeah. And actually there are, um, in parts of the specific segment, um, parts of this market, actually the um, you know, needing to pay to be a member can be seen as a, uh, an advantage almost. Maybe it kind of guarantees exclusivity, if you like. Um, so, so picking up on a second thing you mentioned, so free mass market, right, there are um, a lot of users in that segment. Actually, it's by far the biggest, as you say, for the kind of casual market participant. Um, that's where most of them sit. Um, and barriers to entry in terms of starting up an app, something like that, are, are quite low. So you do find quite a lot of sites. Um, however, when you look at the competitive landscape in that segment, as well as all those small sites, you see it's um, there are a few players with really high market share that are just very big sites, the kind of you know brand names that we all know. Um, what, what, why is that that you find market share, you know, some players with big market share, given those dynamics you described of there being lots of sites kind of following where the users are? Mm-hmm. So you're asking sort of why there are these big, like how do yeah. they pitch these why big do you, market Why do you see or? that concentration in that segment? Mm-hmm. Um, can I just take a few moments to yeah, think about this? Yeah, of course, this? yeah. So I, just, I see like the reason why these sort of big players have, are big players as three main reasons. Um, number one, I think just because of the size of their company, they probably have more funding. They have more money to spend on advertisement, on raising awareness, on just getting users to use them. Um, number two, I see um, like brand loyalty. Like if people are already using, for example, Tinder, they're not gonna, unless something really crazy happens, they're not gonna you know, switch away from Tinder, right? So they're, people, once they usually find something that works, they stick with it. And number three, um, this I think is probably the least likely reason, but I'm still going to bring it up. I think potentially there could have been like uh, mergers and acquisitions where they um, swallowed up smaller companies that increased their own market share as well. Interesting. I think the I think the first factor that you highlight there around the benefits of scale and network effects in this market is really important. So, as you say, an example of that would be. I have the scale to market to new users. Just the fact of my being bigger and have a, having a big installed user base in some ways makes me more attractive to the next user uh, who actually size of installed mm-hmm. base is an important criteria. Um, so given, given those dynamics that we've talked about that you know, create a bit of an advantage for the largest players in that segment, um, do you think your initial conclusion that that's where you'd find the kind of highest number of businesses in this market um, is the right one? Um, you know, after going through this analysis, I would actually want to revise my hypothesis um, where initially I thought the free mass market, just because the size of the market would have the greatest number of, um, of these apps. Uh, I don't think so anymore. I think maybe it's better to target something that's niche since there won't be something, uh, there won't be as big of a player in the market and um, allow easier barrier for entry where um, a startup 
app can just really enter and target the specific customers they want without having to worry about the lack of funding they have versus a bigger player, as well as the already built in place brand loyalty. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's exactly right. Cool. So um, as you mentioned, when navigating me around that map, um, the free mass market segment has a really high share of users. So consequently, when we think about market size, revenue kind of generates from adverts and things like that is, is very important. Um, mm-hmm. But if we put that to one side and just focus on the paid part of this market, for simplicity, let's assume it's all monthly subscription and we can ignore the mass market versus specific segment distinction. So just all paid mm-hmm. online dating subscriptions. How much did people in the US spend on paid online dating subscriptions last year? Um, yeah, um, so can I take a few moments? To yeah, absolutely. Why, why don't you take a minute to kind of think through the structure? Perhaps we can talk through that and then we'll, we can put some numbers against it. Okay, sounds good. Right. Okay, so um, I'm ready to sort of present my ideas. Uh, so I'm just going to first assume that we have 300 million people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, I'm going to first break this down between single people versus non-single people because I really hope that not single people are not on these dating apps. So <laughs> I think that's a, that's a fair assumption for a short case mm-hmm. study at least. Um. <laughs> yes. Um, so for single people, I'm just going to assume half the U.S. population is single and half isn't. So that would bring this number down to 150 million that are single. And then within the single population, not everyone um, is really eligible even to use this app or like to date in this app. Because I don't think, for example, five-year-olds will be using this app or, for example, 80-year-olds will be using this app. Mm-hmm. Um, the target range really is more like the 15 to 35 age, really. That's sort of my opinion. So I would say only a third of the eligible single people are even eligible to use this app. So that would bring this down to... Um, uh, 50 million. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of these 50 million, like who a lot of people, even though they're single, they're not going to actively try and find a date because that's just not, that's just not who they are. I would say the majority, actually. So I would only say 20 percent of the people of these 50 million would actually actively try and download an app like this. So that would bring this down to 10 million. And then of this 10 million here, the question is, who is willing to actually pay for this? And in my opinion, that would be even less. Um, most people enjoy free stuff, like I said before. And I think only a tenth of the people would really want to pay for something like Tinder Gold or, you know, something like that. So I would say that really brings it down to one million people. And now I'm just making a little bit of assumption, more assumptions here. I assume if you're for the paid, it's $10 a month. And that would make it $10 million of total uh, subscription fees a month. Multiply that by 12, and it's 120 million um, sort of annual U.S. market in terms of paid subscriptions for um, dating apps. Interesting. So if I was to say, I think that's, um, yeah, really like the clear assumptions and walking through it. So if I was to say that your number of people using um, an online dating um, kind of app um, mm-hmm. Is a little low, and, and that's closer to kind of 30 to 40 million. Okay. But still, if we times your market size by three to four, it would be 50% too small. Um, and, you, and your $10 per month is about right. Um, so, so there's there's one other step 
to think through. Um, what, what else might you think through in terms of sizing this market? So once you've got the number of users, you've got the kind of spend per site. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, just to clarify a little bit, my like even if I multiply like 120 million by three to get like 360 million, I would still be 50% too small. Exactly. But the 30 million users would then be about right. Um, okay. Okay. So it's, I'm really just examining sort of the back end of this tree here to see mm-hmm. um, what. Um, let me, can I just take a moment to yeah, think about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I feel like the logical reason here uh, as to why it could be too small is I'm underestimating um, the number of people that's willing to pay. Uh, I, I estimated that only 10% of the people are willing to pay. Maybe instead of 10%, it's 20, 25%. No. Yeah, I think that that's one of the factors. You, you also see a dynamic where some people are paying for more than one site. So although the mm-hmm. average, it, lots of people are only paying for one, um, but the average number of apps that a user might be subscribing to is higher than one. But yeah, really, um, really sensible mm. structure for a short case study. Let's say you had two days rather than four minutes um, to size this market. Which of your steps would you want to revisit um, and dig into the next level of detail? And, and how would you think about kind of refining this approach with more time? Um, I think I would dig into more detail uh sort of getting from the um, sort of what we revisited before, uh, just the number of users that's willing to pay. And as you said, if they're getting multiple apps, I feel like the 30 million is a pretty set number that's actually pretty easy to get to. It's just like actually seeing if they're willing to pay or not, it's kind of harder to get to as well as just the number of apps they download. Nice, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, Fantastic, well, that's the end of the case. Um, yeah, re- really nice job, Eric. I think especially with the, uh, with the pressure of being not just me interviewing you, but lots of people watching, I think you did, did a really nice job navigating through that. So as I say, not in a normal interview, um, I would turn it over to you to, um, ask me some questions. But I think in the, the flow of this, I, I will, um, yeah, just spend a few minutes kind of reflecting on the case and, um, you know, giving you some feedback on, on what went well. Perhaps before I do that, it'd be great to get, um, you know, any reflections you have from having run through things. Were there elements, you know, reflecting on your own performance kind of things that are top of mind? Mm-hmm. So, um, number one, I have to say this case is really interesting. I actually, uh, I know, I'm not sure if you saw my resume. I started a, like a blind dating club. Oh, I yeah, had seen well. that. Yeah, so I thought this I wasn't would be sure a good fit for you, you decided <laughs> to give me that. Um, and number two, I feel like it's like, uh, this case is like nothing I've done before. I've prepped for, if you would say like the more traditional cases where you have frameworks and all that stuff, but this is just sort of, you kind of jump in, never know really when you start, never know really when you end. Um, I thought this was really, I thought I really enjoyed this because um, it, it flowed really well where I first started with some like brainstorming and I kind of used the brainstorm all the way until the end as well. So um, I really appreciate you for giving me this case and um, yeah, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Well, I, I think the, um, I think your observation about the, you know, not being one way you can apply frameworks is absolutely right. And, and most of our cases at OCNC are 
like that and kind of deliberately like that, really reflecting Mm -hmm. when our clients come to us with difficult strategic questions, we need to solve them with them from first principles. And of course, we bring in experience from work we've done exactly the same way you can bring in preparation you've done to this setting, Um, but fundamentally require their own approach. And I think one of the things you did really well, and this is lots of candidates kind of try and take a framework and and force it in, actually Mm -hmm. listening to each question and thinking through, okay, what's the right way to approach it? I think um, that's always good practice in case studies. In terms of thinking through the um, components of the case, and perhaps if I think through the step of kind of, okay, take the question, think through how to structure it, come up with some good ideas and discuss those with the with the interviewer. Um, I thought you did a really nice job throughout of asking clarifying questions. Um, I guess this is a market that, she said, I know you, you had a, you've been in an online dating kind of business so you know well, but that won't always be the case with case studies. And I think it's really important to make sure you've understood what the interviewer is asking for. And I think you did that really well at, at all stages. Um, I think that the second thing I would say is always good practice is taking the time to think through how you're going to structure your approach. I should say I recognise that is particularly hard in this context where it probably feels like it's Mm -hmm. awkward silence for a lot of people. But I thought that the times when you did that, um, so for example, before the market sizing and when you took the time to reflect on my question about why you'd see provider concentration in the free mass market. Um, You came back with really clear answers. So I'd encourage you to keep doing that. I think perhaps you could have done that, for example, in the segmentation piece of of the case where Mm. um, you jumped into it a bit quicker and and gave good answers. But I wonder if taking some time there would would help. I think especially at the start of an interview, that's the time when it's hardest to do it. So I think keeping that in mind, is really good practice. Um, as we were um, kind of doing the problem solving together, I thought the ideas you came up with were commercially sensible and well-structured. I think what um, impressed me most in that part of the case was your openness to revisiting your thinking when provided by new, you know, providing new information. Mm -hmm. In the course of a project, we come up with initial hypotheses and then we find facts that lead us to challenge and revise those constantly. And our case studies are almost always set up to see how you respond to that. So um, the example of where are you going to find the most sites, right? You, You thought through that. I think your reasons for initially assuming there's lots of sites in free mass market, were sensible. Then we dug into that segment a bit more and then you reflected and actually changed your logic and brought in some new points based on what we discussed. I thought that was um, really nice and that kind of intellectual flexibility and problem solving collaboratively with the interviewer um, is absolutely something we're looking for. I think that the the one... um, area on the problem solving where I think as you're getting into other cases, something to think about. So I think on the market sizing, your structure was um, 
clear, logical, and really easy for me to follow the thinking as an interviewer. And actually, for a short case study, there's only so much detail you can go into. I think one technique that can be um, allow you to do that even better is to almost preempt my last question about where would you go deeper. So to say, well, I think this is a market where... um, you know, in an ideal world, I'd segment this into 10-year age groups and work out these things at this level. For the purposes of a short case study, I'll just assume it was, you know, this is in the 15 to 35 age group, as you, exactly as you did. So the outcome might be the same, but I think um, that's a good way to kind of show off, okay, here's the nuance in my underlying thinking. Um, and sometimes the interviewer might say, okay, well, let, let's go down that, you know, a little deeper down that route. Um, so I think on the market sizing, encourage you to do that. And one thing, one final tip on that that I think can help is maybe even laying out that structure before you put any numbers to it. So saying, well, I'm going to start from US population, then go to single people, then go to age. Um, does that sound okay? Is there any areas where we can go deeper and maybe get the input from the interviewer at that stage? Um, but yeah, as I say, given... Uh, I hope those are helpful tips for future case studies, but I think that you did a, a really nice job on this one. Um, so, uh, yeah, re- re- really well done. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I will definitely Do, keep that in mind in the future, just going like a little bit deeper on my answer. Yeah, I think one of the challenges in a case study is it's such a short period of time to grapple with you know, complex questions. So I think those tools for how can you acknowledge that complexity and nuance um whilst at the same time then you, you can't kind of follow through on all of it is a balanced thing about striking yeah but uh great mm-hmm. job I, I i i really enjoyed the uh yeah the conversation and, and hearing your thoughts and running through it mm-hmm. yeah thank you thanks again to steven and ocnc for the fantastic demonstration if you're interested in a role at ocnc You'll find a link to view current openings and submit your application in this episode's show notes. Thanks again for listening to Strategy Simplified. If you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll catch you again next week.